0: Live from the NASDAQ market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Brian Kelly. Tonight on Fast, revving up. New details on the Rivian IPO just crossing. The Amazon and Ford-backed EV maker planning to sell shares next week at between $57 and $62 a share. We will break down all the details that we have. Plus, we're digging in on Deere. Shares seeing their best day since February after the company strikes a deal with a major union. But could there be even more upside ahead? And a glitch in the metaverse, shares of Roblox dropping after a system-wide outage over the weekend. Is this just a stumbling block or sign of more pain to come? We start off, though, with another set of records for the markets. The S&P, Dow, and Nasdaq all closing at all-time highs. The S&P grinding its way to its 60th record of this year. But the gains come without the help of big technology. Long-time market leaders like Alphabet, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple all down today. What did work? Well, for one thing, retail. Check out moves in Macy's, Kohl's, Gap, and Nordstrom all posting outsized gains. But that wasn't the only pocket of strength. Energy posting their biggest gains today, led by names like Devon, Phillips, and Marathon Oil. So... What do you make of this market action, Dan?
1: Yeah, no, I think it's pretty fascinating. You mentioned the move or the lack of participation in mega cap tech, and you gotta go back, Mel, to the first quarter of this year when the 10-year US Treasury yield was trading 1.77% at its high, up from 1%. What was lagging at that point? It was mega cap tech. There was a move into more GDP sensitive sorts of names. And that's exactly what we saw here today. But I will also tell you what we saw here today is something that I don't love so much, is the move into some of these kind of high valuation names that don't have a whole heck of a lot of profits and, and they just really squeezed the heck out of them today. So to me, I think there was a push and pull there. There was a move out of that because of the expectation of rates. But the most important thing I'll just say is where is the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield right now? It's not back at those highs right now, especially as we have equities much higher than where they were back in March when yields were at their highs. So some pretty difficult action here as we head into this um, Fed meeting in a couple of days, in my opinion.
0: Brian, is that how you see things? Or, I mean, the other way to look at it is, you know, we're at record highs. Uh, investors may be looking to cash out, as Dan had said, from, from what had been gainers, what had been market leadership, and looking for pushing the envelope, you know, in a sense, to look for gains.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, listen, I still happen to believe we're in this melt-up, kind of mom-and-pop, retail-driven uh, market, right? And this is t- typically, and I'm not saying we're at a top, but this is, these are the type of things that happen at a top. So if I look at the economics and what the bond market's telling me, the bond market's telling me there's going to be inflation. Most central banks are going to panic into raising rates, and then, it's gonna, then that's going to cause a slowdown. So today was a little strange right because that has been the theme for the last couple weeks but then we got some economic news that seemed to be a little bit better today looks like production was okay so i think what the market is starting to price in is that okay the supply chain issues are going to go away the feds on top of inflation and let's just throw away this quarter fundamentals don't matter and let's just buy stocks and that's what people do now to me this is where you want to start taking profit into these rallies rather than buying into this as a longer term investor
0: that's interesting because i mean i know tim you've been watching this all of us have been watching this fed funds futures increasingly pricing in a first rate hike in june as opposed to just a couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago when it was a very unlikely scenario now it's the more likely scenario that has changed i think also in the psyche of investors
3: well, central banks are, are meeting around the world this week, a couple have already met, and we talked about those that have already moved and, and some of the yield curve moves, especially in, in Asia, that, that are extraordinary, right? So, so what's the market doing with that? First of all, they're, they're taking, as you said, uh, the, the short end of the curves to where you're pricing and your dots uh, dot plots have changed and have, a, have actually moved in. You're also seeing maybe the, the 10-year and the longer end of the curve come down a bit because people are starting to price in central banks. They're going to squelch some of this growth. This was, as we're talking, for a Monday when we hit all-time highs, it didn't feel like that, even though we're all bracing for central banks that are probably, you know, know they're behind the curve. They're not going to admit that. Uh, you had a case where I think, you know, you look at an S&P that's up 7.8% in the last 20 sessions. So melt up. I mean, you know, this is one of the the... the the hottest points we've seen uh, markets at least on a run in, at many junctures along the way of what's been a, an incredible run for the last couple of years. This is as good as we've seen. We've got a VIX that's been depressed and not a lot of risk is being priced in. And the sense is, yeah, that that I think there's some seasonal factors here. But um, I I do believe if you look at some of the underperformance on a day like today, Dan pointed out where mega cap tech, um, you aren't really seeing the banks participate. Uh, It does feel like some of the frothier parts of the the meme stocks and also some of the retail names that look as as good as of a run as it's been for department stores. um, You know, valuations aren't terribly cheap here. So, again, I think you have to be cautious with the move we've had so far in markets because it's been extraordinary by any measure relative to itself.
0: Yeah, we were talking on the 1230 call, which we have every day, and, and Tim was mentioning Black Friday, Karen, and when exactly does that start? For some, it might start the day after Christmas from the year before. For others, it's around this time, right? sometime after Halloween, and here we are um, with all these retail. names. Do you think part of this is seasonality, that, that push to year end, the notion that people will be buying into the holiday season, the notion that people will be pushing the markets higher overall?
4: I think so. I think also on the retail front, though, you know, you normally wait for Black Friday. I think there has been such an effort by retailers to say, hey, look, we don't know what our inventory situation is going to be, so you better get started right now. So I think the retail numbers that we see are going to be strong. Now, maybe that's some pull forward from, you know, Tim, I know, is an ultra-procrastinator, so he's waiting until the eleventh hour no matter what. But there are some people that will move earlier. I, I think we will see that. What I don't know is, you know, if in in the industrial world, if we're pulling forward a lot of inventory growth because the supply chain has told us oh, we can't operate with just-in-time inventory, we have to have more of a cushion. And so is part of what's happening in the supply chain excess buying to be in a position to have some buffer? And then when the supply chain issues are over, then people will be stuck with more inventory. That's a little problem down the road. I don't know what's going to happen, but... I don't know. I think for now, given that the tax changes, corporate tax changes seem to not be on the table in a big way right now, that's probably positive as well. So, you know, I like Brian, I'm nervous in this. Everything great. So I want to look for maybe buying some protection. I'm not going to trade around my positions just because of the market. But I do trade around protection.
0: I mean, I think last minute for Tim has been Dwayne Reed you know like the day before the week before <laughs> yeah um, not that there's anything wrong Chris with received. buying a gift from Dwayne Reed it is a thought hours. that counts um, but down the road Brian Kelly I mean with markets at record highs shouldn't we worry about down the road today as opposed to down the road whenever that might be
2: Yeah, frankly, I'm a bit surprised that the market isn't starting to price this in because, you know, everything that we're talking about is known information. We saw in the last GDP report that a lot of that increase was due to inventory buildup. And so it would just be logical that that might slow down. So I am a bit surprised. um, But I'm the type of guy that, you know, will shop uh, in January of last year for Christmas. And, you know, unlike Tim, who got me an Applebee's gift card from Dwayne Reed last year. Not that there's anything wrong with Applebee's, but, you know.
0: Yeah. Um, so, Dan, have you thrown in the towel on this on the Santa Claus rally at this point? Or do you think that that, that actually we are in place for one, despite what you think of the fundamental, um, you know, fundamentals of the economy?
1: Yeah, I mean, generally, I'm not one of those people who worry much about valuation because, you know, when it's working, um, when the market's going higher and it's lifting all boats, I mean, people are not particularly worried. It's only after the fact. And I would just say this, that, you know, if I look at a couple things that we don't focus a whole heck of a lot on, one of them would be small caps. Did you see the move? The massive outperformance in the Russell 2000 or the IWM that tracks it, the ETF, I mean, it's up two and a half percent today. It's trading very near the highest levels um, of the year. And you know when those were? That was back in March when yields were at their highest. So the disconnect for me right now is why isn't the 10-year Treasury yield higher than where it is? If all these expectations for rate hikes are being moved up. Now you can tell me about the 210 spread. I know we spent some time doing that in the twos. Um, But to me, I'm surprised rates aren't back towards those highs. But I would fully expect to see a breakout of the Russell 2000 if markets don't seem to mind that these expectations are being pushed up. Because maybe it is finally saying that the economy is about to inflect after we've had let's say two quarters of deceleration that were actually decelerated much further than most people expected in the beginning of the year. And then the last thing I would just say is have you looked at this move in the transports that was one of the things I might have pointed to maybe a month or two ago not confirming the broader market move and they've just gone up in a straight line and they're approaching the prior all-time highs.
0: Well, our next guest warns the market's record momentum could stall around Thanksgiving. Mike Wilson is Morgan Stanley's chief U.S. equity strategist and chief investment officer. Mike, it's always great to speak with you. Um, Thanks. Your note, fire and ice. We're entering the icy period. So what what sparks that?
5: Yeah, I mean look this is a difficult time. I, you know, we've uh we've we've had this fire and ice narrative now for really a couple of months, and the fire part has played out. Everybody's focused on the Fed this week, as it should be. I mean, this is a big change. Or they've telegraphed it well. Um, and look part of the sell-off in September we think was directly a result of the Fed, you know, talking more hawkishly, right? Uh rates went up and multiples came down and we got a whopping seven percent correction. And um we backed off on the ICE portion uh, kind of at the beginning of the, uh, October because the market stabilized. And you know, we do a lot of work looking at flows like everybody. And we notice that the retail community has just you know, been coming in with a vengeance and continues to come in with cash. And, and it, it was again today. So that's a seasonal feature, we think, because, you know, institutional managers will also want to stay fully invested through this, you know, through the holiday period, the Santa Claus, Claus rally, as you call it. And we think that could last all the way till year and we do. It, it might last till Thanksgiving. We don't know. But what I want to make clear uh, today, and we try to make clear in our notes, is the ice portion of our narrative has not played out yet. So we just have a different view than most people. We, we don't think growth is going to reaccelerate you know into the first part of next year, particularly for earnings, for a lot of the reasons you all were just talking about first, one is supply chain issues and costs. Some companies are missing sales outright because they can't even get the supply. That's another problem. But we think there's actually an inherently a a demand problem ultimately as well. Uh, There is going to be a bit of a fiscal cliff no matter what happens in Washington, just on a comparative basis to next year. And we just got to work through all that, all right? Mm -hmm. So it's not the end of the world. Expectations are pretty lofty. Valuations are really stretched right now. And so we think that that ice portion is going to play through into the first quarter. And look, it's always about picking the right stocks and sectors anyways for us. I mean, that's what we try to do. And right now we would say you want to lean a little bit more Defensively, things like healthcare, which is cheaper growth. Some parts of technology still look fine to us, but not the mm-hmm. whole bucket. And then financials should work into the end of the year if rates go up with the Fed's move this week.
0: Right. Um, You know, I I think anybody who puts forth sort of a more bearish thesis on the markets might get the pushback of the consumer is in great shape. The consumer has has saved up a lot of money ready to spend. There's going to be spending unleashed. Um, The chart in your note over the weekend was fascinating to me, showing where personal savings are right now. Back to pre-pandemic.
5: Yeah, it's a little known fact, I guess. But, I mean, like, there are two things going on. First of all, um, we had an incredible stimulus over last year, and that did help spending. We know that. and Everybody knows that consumer goods, we probably overconsume there. That's one area we definitely want to try to avoid. Consumer services may benefit as we transition to the reopening for the fourth time, and people spend more on services. I think that will happen. But ultimately, you know, it's about how much money does the consumer have to to kind of keep at this rate. They have been spending at an above-trend rate when you combine the two. And we, we do think personal savings now are back below where, uh, you know, pre-COVID levels. And the data shows that. Where, where we could see an offset is with the wealth effect. OK, so that chart that you, that you cited does not include things like stocks and uh, real estate and maybe cryptocurrency assets. And that's a big positive. One thing I would say is that money is pretty concentrated probably in the upper quartile Of the population and and those folks you know they're probably not going to spend it as as much as somebody the lower end cohort where there's a higher propensity to spend so that's that's the setup i mean i think we get a strong holiday spending season because of that wealth effect but i think after that then you have a then you have a risk of a real uh surprise and the downside from a demand standpoint is those stimulus checks and things that we did this year wear off
4: Hey, Mike, it's Karen. Thanks so much for being on. always love hearing what you have to say. I'm wondering on your thoughts about maybe Thanksgiving or end of the year is kind of the end of that bull run. Is there something sort of structural that would change the tone that would you know, make people more bearish?
5: No, I don't think there's anything, you know, I, mean, I don't think there's a single smoking gun. I think there's a bunch of things that you could say that line up. And I think a lot of folks are surprised that we're trading here, but nobody wants to fight the momentum. So it's really that simple, Karen. I think the price momentum—if it starts to fade—I think you'll see more supply. And the structural thing I would say is more seasonal, right? You know, typically as you go into a new year, you know, the clock starts again, particularly for asset managers. And you know, they may decide, okay, this is a time where I do want to take some risk off because I see the same thing that maybe I'm talking about. And a lot of clients we speak to are saying that, but they, don't, they just don't want to abandon ship too early. So that's the structural part. It's a seasonal dynamic and that lends itself to kind of a tougher Q1.
0: Mike, always great to see you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley. um, Brian, I mean, so SHIB coin might save Christmas at this point, I mean, (laughs) personal wealth is gonna (laughs) help the consumer out.
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, I I actually think there's something to that. And we know that Robin Hood has been knocking the cover off the ball. We know that, you know, uh, when we talk about Wall Street bets, that is kind of our quote unquote retail trader. Now, I know they might get upset at me for saying that. But the point is, I do think there are plenty of people out there that have made money in crypto, that have made money in stocks, that are living off of that right now. And if I had to think about what is going to be that smoking gun that you asked about, it is probably that the consumer spending declines right after Christmas. That's what you see. Everybody spends, this is going to be a big Christmas, and then it just goes into that ice period that Mike's talking about.
0: Yeah, I think what was interesting about Mike's commentary, Tim, is that he was talking about this ice period, but we've got enough of sort of all of the, the ingredients needed for a rally into year end, and institutional money wants to stay pretty much invested to year end anyway. So it, it's like this show can keep going.
3: Yeah and and look who who didn't read that note and think about the great Pat Benatar song Fire and Ice where you come on like a flame and you turn a cold shoulder. I did it. And, and that's the where case we're the going end. with. It. Yes, yeah, well, I, I think you're going to go home tonight and listen to that song. But 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 the the cold shoulder is going to be turned by the Fed or really the valuations, because what Mike didn't get a chance to get into is really just the mechanical element of where higher rates are going to bring down the valuation of the market. And that's not something anyone's going to do until next year. So, uh, look, I I, I would not be betting uh, that the Fed is going to step in here. Would I be betting that markets are starting to move yield curves around the world? There's no bet. You, you, that, that's happening. Um, but the the dynamic right now for liquidity is still way too strong. And I'll tell you, we're going to look back on Christmas 2021 And that may have been the greatest era for the consumer coming out with higher wages, with a lot of of gains in asset prices uh, and a world that really just doesn't care uh, and is looking to to kind of exhaust that last bit of spending. But I I think it's going to be a difficult year as we get into next year. and, And I would not challenge the market to push back too hard right now.
0: All right. Coming up, we are all over the after hours action. In Simon property, the stock is jumping after its earnings report. We're shopping that stock next. Plus, new details on the Rivian IPO and a major vote of confidence from one of its biggest backers. We'll break down the action in just a few. Don't go anywhere. Fast money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Simon Property. The stock is jumping 3% after the report. The conference call just kicking off at the top of the hour. Let's get to Frank Holland, who's got the details. Hey, Frank.
6: Hey there, Melissa. As you mentioned, shares up 3% after hours after a top line beat and a big beat on EPS. Almost a dollar above estimates. Really strong year for this stock, up 80% year to date. We'll get into that in a moment, but first on a strong quarter. This earnings showing growth in the mall operators' core business Despite the growth and the broadening of e-commerce, key metrics like occupancy and minimum rent per square foot, both of those improving year over year. Those numbers really contradicting that narrative that malls are dead. Also, strong guidance this quarter pushing the stock higher. The bottom end of the range on profit guidance, almost a dollar above estimates. And in addition to that strong guidance... Simon is also raising its dividend, a 15 percent increase year over year for this quarter. That now stands just under four percent, double the the uh, what you get on the 10 year. That dividend also increasing 10 percent sequentially for Q4. Again, shares up three percent after hours, 80 percent year to date. Melissa, back over to you.
0: Frank, thanks. Frank Holland, Karen Feinerman, malls aren't dead, at least high end malls. (laughs) Right.
4: High end. This is the highest of the high end. Malls aren't dead. I think, though, that that dividend increase is important remember yields are, uh, dividend yields are so important to these companies and so a 15 cent per quarter dividend increase at a four and a half percent um dividend yield gets you the you know i don't know four bucks not quite um that the stock's trading up but the occupancy was very good i'm surprised at how strong this turnaround has been and hopefully that bodes well for retailers i mean if you think about the average you know the Gap, at Bath & Body Works and PVH and all of them. Um, hopefully, it's good traffic as well as um, Simon running their business well. I don't, I'd don't. be curious how the Taubman properties are doing versus the Simon properties. I didn't see it if they broke that out, but a very strong turnaround. Surprising.
0: Ah, post-merger, of course. Um, Tim, what's your read-through on, on retail? How do you sort of extrapolate Simon to various parts of I mean, is it a luxury Story, a sort of high end retailer story, a bricks and mortar versus a brand that has strong DTC. I mean, how do you parse it out?
3: Um, and by the way, you know, the Taubman properties, at least through the end of the second quarter, were, were ahead of 2019 pre COVID levels. So again, I think those trends are alive, and the forward yield of four and a half on this company is very attractive. Look, I, I think we've seen a rationalization of store space go on across retail where it needed to. COVID forced that through. Um, it'll be interesting to see kind of where it goes, but I, I do think you saw that um, you know, more in bricks and mortar as much as you saw that in luxury. I think brands have, have figured out a way to survive, but they've, they've figured out a way to survive with that type of, of, of online e-commerce mix. I, I do think also we're in a sweet spot of people wanting to go back and shop in stores. Um, i don't think that the trends towards each e-commerce are going to reverse though Uh, and i think if anything they're going to continue to push even further so um, these are great numbers this stock's a three-bagger off the covid lows Uh, the forward yields look attractive in the current environment but as rates move higher again the first part of our show if they do um, i think this is going to be a much tougher story and and just for retailers also they've swapped maybe you know renegotiated lease prices and lower costs uh, on rent with much higher labor costs and I, i think that the latter is is much more troublesome, even though it's good for the society.
0: All right, coming up, new details on the highly anticipated Rivian IPO, plus two big stock moves, deer jumping as Roblox powers down. We've got the details coming up. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq Market Site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got some new details on the Rivian IPO. Phil LeBeau has been digging into the company's latest filing. He's got the very latest. Phil.
7: Melissa, this is a highly anticipated IPO that's coming to market. Could happen as soon as next week. Here's what we found in the amended S-1 that was just dropped within the last half hour from Rivian. Again, we've learned that this listing could happen as soon as next week. At the NASDAQ, RIVN is the ticker symbol. Pricing between $57 and $62 a share. Under offering up to 135 million shares. That means the valuation of anywhere between 76 and 83 billion dollars. And oh, by the way, there's another 20 million shares that could be offered on top of that 135 million. Amazon in the S1, uh, remember, they own 20%. Of Rivian, they may take up to two hundred million dollars of additional shares, according to the s one gives you some indication of how highly anticipated uh, the Rivian IPO is. Remember have, uh, uh, Amazon has ordered a hundred thousand delivery vans, some of which are already on the streets making deliveries uh, for Amazon. Those are electric delivery vans built in central Illinois. a hundred thousand have been ordered by Amazon. This is a day where we've seen a lot of momentum and enthusiasm for electric vehicles, stocks, and Tesla certainly leading the charge. Another big day for Tesla. The stock keeps moving higher. It rallied on a number of initiatives the company has announced around the world, including a 0% uh, leasing plan in China, uh, some other initiatives over in uh, Europe. Those alone should not be enough to say, hey, this stock is ready to move higher. Ah, but then our friend Adam Jonas at Morgan Stanley, he puts out a note saying... As crude oil prices continue to move higher, it makes the uh, idea of buying economical, more economical, buying an EV. He says we anticipate the acquisition cost of the average EV should fall below the average internal combustion engine vehicle by mid to later this decade. Yet one more indication of how much enthusiasm there is for electric vehicle manufacturers as the cost continues to come down. And that's why you saw a number of shares move higher. Take a look at the chart here, comparing Tesla shares and what we've seen with crude oil prices. It's interesting that you see them continuing to move higher, especially over the last couple of months. And as we mentioned. All of the EV stocks got a nice bid underneath them today, moving higher. And they've been doing this over the last several days, whether it's Fisker, EVgo, that's Canoe. Uh, You've got QuantumScape in there, ChargePoint, all of them having a nice day today. Guys, back to you.
0: And throwing the ones over in China as well. Those are strong, too, Phil. It's a global phenomenon that we're watching. Thank yeah. you, Phil LeBeau, coming through that S1. Um, the, the headline that really stood out to me, uh, Karen, when looking at this and having Phil report on it, is that cornerstone investors are willing to buy more stock at the IPO price. And usually we hear about or worry about investors wanting to get out.
4: Mm-hmm. I, it makes me think that the range is going to go higher before this gets done. So mm. I, it's just a staggering number, though. I mean, I get the whole you know virtuous cycle of you know, once these become more uh, economical than internal combustion engines, that's something big. But the more manufacturing it is, the more efficient it is, the more charging stations there are, the less one worries about how far the range is. I mean, you can see a lot of virtuous things happening. But how much... Of a virtuous cycle is already priced in here, it seems like kind of a lot, so um, I mean and, and good for Amazon for buying the trucks and having the position that 's an enormous score for them but uh, it 's going to be too rich for me for sure
0: is it too is too much priced in dan i mean let's let 's focus on on rivian for in, instance i mean there 's a lot we still don 't know about this company, but of what we do know, it does seem that they have actual orders. And that if you think about their total addressable market as every single vehicle on the road that makes deliveries, that's a lot of cars right there without even factoring in other you know, cars like the pickup truck, et cetera, geared towards consumers. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I think that Amazon holding 20% of of that company and then being their largest order to date. That video that you're looking at right there is pretty interesting though, Mel. You just mentioned trucks and SUVs. I think that 80% of the cars sold in America last year were trucks and SUVs. That's where they're going. And then they have these enterprise customers. So I actually think it's a really interesting story. We were talking about Lucid last week. You know, really interesting high-end Sedan there, but they're going to be competing with the Germans. They're going to be competing, you know, uh, with the with the Model S Plaid by Tesla, that sort of thing. I just find this niche, if you will, to start out much more interesting. I think it's a nice price point. I think that uh, that truck, that, that four wheel drive truck, starts at like seventy seven thousand or something. Now that is nearly double the cost of most of the average car that's sold in America. But they almost have to start out at that higher price point. That's exactly how Tesla did it. I think if they can get in there in SUVs and trucks before anyone else does. I think that could be very interesting. And then also, obviously, Ford has a 5% stake in Rivian. Um, They're going to build that lightning. Um, I just think it is an interesting story. You tell me at $1.2 trillion for Tesla and low single-digit global market share, what should any of these be worth? It's a really tough one to figure out. Well, is
0: Ford worth what it's trading at, Brian Kelly? Is Ford maybe the ultimate play? I mean, it's positioned in Rivian. It's positioned in its own portfolio for that transition.
2: Right. And so I think if you, th- if you think about valuation, you think about who has the infrastructure to do it, I think Ford is going to be a very big part of that. And, you know, Adam Jonas, in his note, mentioned that all of these things are going to happen in mid to late decade. I mean, think about the average hedge fund or portfolio manager. They don't know what they're going to have for dinner, let alone what's going to happen the next decade. So my guess is a lot of this is being priced in right now. That doesn't mean these things can't get out of control. Everybody wants to find the next Tesla. Rivian seems to be the next Tesla for today. But if I were a shareholder of this company, I would be selling with both hands on the IPO.
0: Interesting. Tim, your quick thoughts.
3: I I, I mean, Ford trades less than 10 times earnings. I mean, it's really obvious where that money should be allocated. And and obviously, stock was up 5% today, which is probably at, you know, at 75 to 80 billion, exactly the valuation of their stake in Rivian. But it's rallied also with this news. And and look, the move in Tesla, um, as the whole EV space heats up, Tesla's up 46% in 11 trading sessions. So, um, yeah, where where should you be valuing the entire sector? Um, I still think that like the, the, the valuations for, for Rivian, for Tesla are, are pie in the sky, perfection, whereas GM and Ford are places you've got guys never executing better on their core business, moving very well into these areas with a lot of investment dollars. So, as you know, that's how I'm playing it.
0: Coming up, we're tackling two big stock moves, Deer and Roblox, both making headlines but moving in two very different directions. We've got the details next, plus some good news for AMC, giving the apes a reason to cheer. Grab your popcorn. The trade is up next. Fast Money's back in two. Set your clocks. You won't want to miss a first-on interview with former Google chairman and CEO Eric Schmidt. He'll be talking all things tech. That is tomorrow, 8.45 a.m. Eastern Time on Squawk Box here on CNBC. Take a look at Chairs of Deere & Company topping the tape and surging nearly 4% today. This move comes after the company reached a tentative six-year labor agreement with the United Auto Workers Union. This deal covers more than 10,000 workers, includes wage increases, signing bonuses, and more. Workers will still need to vote on this deal and we've seen this time and time again in a lot of companies, the effort to unionize an effort to take advantage of the supply demand dynamics and the labor force favoring the workers who want higher wages, of course, Tim. And this all spells to me tighter margins, although it's good that Deer now has some clarity.
3: Yeah, it is. And I think that this was something that at least a couple of weeks ago, when it looked like they had a deal on the table and then it looked like they were getting squeezed, um, it left some unknowns. But, but really, if you look uh, at the overall business for, for Deer and, and for Caterpillar for that matter, um, Deer's outperformed because I think they have to put less investment in, in some of their, uh, their technology and their infrastructure. And I think the, the tailwinds of where we are right now for both the ag economy and broader, you know, call it food safety dynamics, I think still play to their favor. So a better run company, even with higher labor costs, getting this behind them, uh, interesting. Don't love the chart, uh, but it's had a very good run.
0: Yeah. Karen? To me,
4: I think about this news as much broader than Deere. I mean, good for them. Clarity is good. Hopefully it will be approved. If, um, but I think about you know this supply chain issue has caused companies to really rethink the, the just-in-time inventory. And so if they have to repatriate some of the production, obviously that helps unions there's also been a shift in sort of what is important to companies now right it used to be only maximizing shareholder value but now it's more concern about all of the constituents not only shareholders but you know employees sort of move way higher up so this is an interesting time for labor and it's not just deer it's going to be much broader than that and that, to me that seems inflationary and i think the pendulum will probably swing way too far bringing more production here maybe and it will be more expensive But I see a lot of others doing the same thing, and they don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. Not that it's a bad choice to make, but they'll be forced to do it. And I think that's going to be higher wages across the board, higher pricing, inflation.
0: This, Yeah, this kind of inflation is not transitory, or doesn't seem like it would be transitory, Mm -hmm. Brian Kelly.
2: Yeah, it's a five-year deal, right? So, I mean, it's that I wouldn't consider that transitory. But here's what I think and why, in my opinion, why Deere is up so much is that they've now locked in those prices. So, if we're talking about some sort of wage price inflation going on, we know where Deere's costs are going to be at least on the wage front. And if they can raise prices on their tractors and whatnot, then they're actually going to be able to expand margin. So I think that's what the market is responding to today. Also, there is this element of first mover advantage where, you know, the increases they did today are going to seem paltry two to three years from now if we really do get that inflationary uh, spiral or inflationary pressure everybody's talking about. And then the third thing they've got the tailwind on is look at corn prices. Look at wheat prices. Mm. Wheat, over $8 a barrel, as Tim will tell you today. First time it's done in 2012. So now farmers can afford to buy more tractors, and they can buy higher-priced goods. Costs are at least somewhat contained. I think it's good for deer.
0: It's a good day when we can talk about barrels and bushels on Fast Money. Um, Up next, we've got a buzzkill. We're talking about Roblox. Roblox traded lower today. Um, The online gaming platform actually fell more than 3% following a major outage over the weekend. The outage lasted from Thursday to Sunday. What did people do instead? The company said the problem was caused by an internal system issue. Dan Nathan, the metaverse is broken. I mean, what...
1: (laughs) what went on single point (laughs) of failure mel and that just must have ruined so many parents who rely on their roblox accounts for those kids to keep them busy all all weekend long and you know in the lead up to halloween i mean listen you know i i think it's an interesting name that i saw I've seen brought up a lot since Zuckerberg's um, you know, keynote or whatever he did about Meta last week here, and people are saying, hey, listen, this is right in front of you. There's a little metaverse right now that many of our little beings are, are, are kind of spending a lot of time in. Um, listen, you know, this is a company that is not profitable, I'm expected to do uh, $2.5 billion in sales next year, growing you know, 20% a year for the next few years. Still unprofitable. But I think there's gonna be a lot of interesting plays as we kind of step back and try to digest what does the metaverse mean for some of these kind of walled gardens, you know, for uh, Facebook, it really means kind of entry-level um, hardware into their platforms and the stuff that they want to build. But Roblox is already there, so to me, I think you, I would expect to see lots of M and A in this space. The stock had a big run just over the last few weeks into this, down three and a half percent on a three-day, um, you know, outage doesn't seem like too big of a deal right now.
0: Three days seems like a long time. I mean, this reminded me of when Facebook went down and then Netflix and their earnings report, said that they had a surge in streaming during that period that Facebook was down. And granted, Roblox is not nearly the kind of platform that Facebook is, but all those teens and preteens and whoever's on, you know, Roblox, they went somewhere, Tim. I don't know where they go. Obviously, we're not in the demographic, but they went somewhere and they did something.
3: They were not watching Brady Bunch reruns uh, in my house uh, while it was down. I mean, there, there was a rebellion. So, uh, look, I, I do think it, it points out some of the interdependence and, and some of the, you know, the, the fears that investors may have for some of these companies. I, you know, the, the question really for, for Roblox is, Dan points out, this is a company in a hyper growth period that's not really profitable. And with the future in the metaverse still so unknown, Roblox is certainly laying their claim. Uh, and that was, you know, that's in the valuation as well. Um, there's going to be a lot of competition, and for companies that aren't able to really prove their business model, um, I, think, you know, I think right now people need to see this company start to make some money.
0: Coming up, we're going back to the movies. So our AMC share is going to the moon. What the theater chain said that sent shares soaring today. We're gearing up for lift earnings tomorrow. Option traders are buckling in. We've got the trade when Fast Money returns. Did the retail investor save AMC?
1: We had saved AMC first by raising a lot of money, but then the retail investors arrived in huge numbers. And yes, they saved AMC, and that's when they saved AMC, because of the retail investors. We raised another $1,250,000,000 in May and June of 2021. And that last billion dollars is what really will, I think, guarantee that we survive through this pandemic
0: That was part of my interview with AMC CEO Adam Aaron, part of our new digital documentary, How the AMC Apes Cracked Wall Street. You can check it out on YouTube, on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash CNBC, as well as at cnbc.com. AMC, by the way, making headlines today as well. Shares jumping nearly 5% after the theater chain said theater admissions revenue in October was the highest since February of 2020. AMC is up more than 1,600% this year. Um, that 5% gain today, adding to it. Karen, quite a story. And, and you are taking a look at the bonds today. The bonds maybe tell the entire story of the roller coaster ride that Adam was talking about.
4: Right. Well, they were managed to roll out their bonds. There's one bond that was the most active today. I, um, it, it, it matures in 25 or 26. It was in the lower 20s, maybe at the depths of despair. and it's a And now it's just about par, which is kind of an amazing thing. Although at par, it's still 11 and percent yield. So there is some concern, but that's kind of extraordinary that he was able to do that. And I mean, I just think at every turn, he was masterful. Uh, I'm interested to see what else he had to say to you, Mel, particularly the, uh, the episode with the pants or the lack of pants, I guess it was. <laughs>
0: He was wearing pants during the interview that I conducted with him, by the way, in case you're wondering that he was, That's in good. fact, wearing pants, which is a good thing. But he, he calls riding the whole meme stock phenomenon riding the tiger by the tail. In other words, he didn't know where this was going to take you, but he knew that he could take advantage of this, lean in, and buy his company a lifeline, which is exactly what he got. The question is, can that lifeline work if he was looking at things like a partnership with GameStop showing live sports on their screens? Offering or not offering taking crypto as payment um, b k what are your thoughts?
2: I think a billion dollars will buy you a lot of pants, so i 'm glad he had it on when you were doing your uh, <laughs> your interview with him i you know the The, the, the movie theater chain. That has to change a bit. I'm not going to bet against AMC because they've shown that they can actually maneuver on Wall Street. I agree with Karen. This was absolute masterful job by the CEO. But we're not looking at a chain, a movie theater chain, that's going to look anything like it. So until there is some clarity on what the future of
0: movies in a theater look like, um, up 1,600 percent, I'm going to sell it. All right. Again, it's on the YouTube channel, CNBC's YouTube channel, so check it out. Coming up, options traders are revving up for lift earnings after the bell tomorrow. We will tell you how they are trading the ride-sharing stock next. You're watching Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq market side in Times Square. We are back right after this. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo. Catch the full interview, top of the hour on Mad Money. And don't forget, you can have Kramer delivered right to your inbox at the CNBC Investing Club. Point your phone at the QR code on the side of the screen and you can sign up. All right. Meantime, check out shares of Lyft rallying today, but still down a whopping 16 percent in the last month. Some options traders are betting the stock could be ready, though, for lift off when the company reports earnings tomorrow. Let's see what we did there. Uh, Mike Co joins us with the action. Mike.
5: Yeah, so Lyft saw about 2.4 times its average daily options volume today. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about 8%, just slightly under the 9% that the company has averaged over that past eight reported quarters. Now, bullish bets just barely edged out bearish bets overall. I think net-net. We saw options traders get longer the stock by the equivalent of about $5.5 million worth of the stock. The most active call options were actually the December 50 calls. Over 1,900 of those were trading for about $1.72. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the stock could get above that $50 strike price by the $1.72 that they would be paying for those. And obviously they're hoping for a bit of a rebound after earnings.
0: Tim, what do you think? You like Lyft?
3: I'd say I, I like Uber more than Lyft. Um, mm. I think both of these companies have, have certainly had a lot of exposure to reopening, cyclicality, labor costs. Um, I think Lyft's losing market share right now, not, not in a major way, but enough where it's costing the stock and the underperformance. If anything, I, I, I realize that the Uber business model, which is one that seemingly pushes out profitability is the one that's so much more interesting. Again, the super app that has uh, not just uh, you know grocery deliveries, but you know, the, the purchase of, of Drizzly, like everything that could be transported, I think they're going that way. Uh, and I think it's a much bigger opportunity. So at a time when both these stocks have been largely dead money uh, for the last couple of years, Uber's actually outperformed Lyft and I think there's a reason for
0: it. Once upon a time you wanted the sort of more focused business model, Dan, do you?
1: Yeah, I think, if you're worried about profitability or you want to get there quicker i think that lyft probably has a better shot i think they've reiterated that the stock has not traded well in the face of some of their pronouncements about that i'll just say this if this thing can hold the mid 40s just look at that chart there is a ricochet back towards you said mel was down 16 percent or so there's a ricochet back towards that mid 50s level here so if the deck one, uh, you know, 50 calls are the most active, which Mike just described, I think that's what those traders are playing for. It also lines up well with the 200-day moving average. So if the guidance isn't a disaster and the quarter's not a disaster, this stock's going to be above 50 uh, sometime this week.
0: All right, Mike Coe, thank you to you. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, a very special time of year for a lot of people and for McDonald's, of course, the sandwich that is on everybody's mind. We're biting in when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is everyone's favorite time of the year. Not talking about the holidays, Thanksgiving or all that stuff. It's time for the McRib. McDonald's is bringing back the barbecue sandwich for a limited time. And in a very 2021 spin on the classic, Mickey D's is also giving away 10 McRib NFTs to some lucky fans. Tim, I know you're going to race out. You want to get that McRib NFT and bite in.
3: Look, look. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I love barbecue as much as the next man or woman, but I, I, I just don't really understand this one. But the cult following around it and you throw NFT on it, I'm surprised McDonald's isn't up 10 percent today. Um, I'll go out and get it. Uh, not sure what the NFT gets me, but I hope I'm in, you know, hope they hand me one while I'm in line.
0: I want to know what they're going to be worth, if anything. I think I'd rather have a McRib over a McRib at N- NFT. Um, time for the final trade now. Let's go around the horns, Tim.
3: Yeah. All right. Let's go. Let's go bed, bath and beyond. I do think actually a deal with Uber today gets their deliveries out there. But you can't say that property malls and all these other things and consumer stocks are doing better and say this company shouldn't also overcome some of those headwinds. I like the name. Down a lot.
0: Karen.
4: Yeah, I like Pfizer. It's well off its uh, highs and a little bit off of its recent lows. And if rising rates, 10 times earnings
2: with a three and a half percent dividend value. BK. Nothing runs like a deer. You buy, you take a bushel and a peck of your
0: hard-earned cash, and you buy John Deere.
1: Dan Nathan. Yeah, Roblox reports next week. If you see that thing down in the 70s, that'd be a buyer down there.
0: All right. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more fast. Mad Money. Jim Kramer starts right now.